0: Welcome to today's episode of The Flank Podcast.
1: The quickest win, I think, for a lot of people and the easiest one to grasp. It particularly fits a direct consumer
2: product because you want a out that's... Just prove it out once at the smaller scope and then it's like, use that trusting relationship to prove it out to the person who has more oversight to all the other individual.
1: Can you introduce me to your VC? Maybe talk about how pleased you were with the work that... Flank did,
2: you know. I'm Angus. I'm Mallory. I'm Bryce. I'm Trevor. And, and we're, we're Flank.
0: Flank. Well, so Flank sits between a software engineer and a non-engineer. And if you sell to a company, you sort of have to get people on both sides to be using it. And so it's been like much easier to get people using the tool to just eliminate one of those sides. It's like... One of the ways we can do that is that we can use the tool internally ourselves. So we don't have to, you know, convince there to be a non-engineer. We just use it for, you know, our deployment pipeline or whatever. And then the other way is that we can just play the role of software engineer and just do a little consulting for people. And we tried this maybe a year ago. We stopped doing it after after a couple attempts because each project was taking, even for small little stuff, was taking like two or three weeks and um i don't know it just it was like not great bang for the buck but now like the product is just a little better we've done more of these things so we just have more repeatable stuff that we can go back to and it just seems like it's a good way to like get the word out and show people some different use cases um that that can be used so Actually, Bryce, I think it might be interesting if you could just kind of go through just kind of a list of the different the different use cases. Like so-and-so uses flank to fill in the blank and just try to keep it like super concise as an exercise too.
2: Yep. So um, we have uh, this guy who's kind of just like very this guy named clay who isn't like a super good suite is friends with a guy named cameron who doesn't have any engineering skills and uh clay wrote cameron a web scraper to download a bunch of pdfs they had some problems when uh clay was sharing like the python script to cameron's computer and like cameron was trying to like run it even though he didn't know how to like run code or anything so uh, we ended up taking that scraper throwing it in flank So now Cameron uses Flank to just start up a web scraper and get back a pre-signed URL that just like downloads a zip file with like about 80 PDFs that he wants with the information he needs. Um, Then we have these guys uh, from this NIL company called out to win They uh, currently are going through an iteration phase where they are trying to establish a marketplace between a bunch of athletes and a bunch of brands. And um, they've been doing a lot of stuff manually in the past where they'll go and like contact an athlete, like get their Instagram stats, get a bunch of other random stuff kind of around how they work. Um, and it was just a very manual process to like add up and like just add everything to the database itself. So uh, now they are using Flank in a variety of ways and uh, I'm providing some engineering support while they hire some initial engineers to uh, just ingest a ton of data into the database itself. And then there's also um, two flank commands that help them like with the actual outreach to brands themselves. There's one where you like put in like, oh, this brand is looking for athletes in football. And like, also you could say like football and like Alabama. So then it would find like all the top like football players in Alabama. And it puts together like a little like PDF that like has like the top 10 athletes they may wanna contact. Um, they can just like shoot that out to a brand. Um, and then like, they kind of have that as like a two-parter where it's like the one creates the PDF and then the second one is like, they write like a message that they want to send in the email and then they can kind of send that out to like all of the brands they want to reach out to in Alabama or anything. Uh, so they're just using it to get some more leverage around any of their non-technical people. Um, then we also have a, uh, <laughs> high schooler down in Texas who uh, decided with his buddies, they were going to build a geopolitical uh, event tracker online. And it was one guy's technical. And then they have like about five people who are just like interested in geopolitical events and like that just read a lot about it. So they're like, okay, we're going to have the one guy build the website and kind of make the place for all the information to live and for people to interact with. Uh, and then they've been using flank as like the entry system to add a bunch of data to the database. And then the technical guy kind of figures out how to display it, but rather than needing to make a bunch of custom forms and stuff for them to like input and add the event context or like to update any of the events. Um, they've just been doing all of that through flank. So he just wrote a basic script and then now they all have that shared on their computers. So they only have, like, one public-facing site, and then they have a flank that adds that acts as, like, kind of their um, admin panel to, like, update any of the user and, like, general population-facing site information behind the scenes. Um, and those are just, like, a couple of examples that we've been doing the past couple of weeks or that people have been using the past couple of weeks, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, those
1: sound like the... Kind of the key, at least Angus, when you've talked to me, like that sound like pretty prototypical clients, what you were kind of had in mind with, when I think you started talking about Frank with me a couple of years ago. And a lot of this, I think, stems from our experience at BLA and wanting to keep your, your technical people, particularly if you've got a lean technical staff and keeping them on the things that they truly have to be doing versus like automating a scraper, or what have you that's kind of in what off ad hoc things and those feel like the biggest things that are super valuable to your non-technical staff but things that accumulate and pull time away from the technical staff from working on the core product particularly things that like make non-technical users life or um, employees or stakeholders their lives much easier and saves them a lot of time but in the process might pull a lot of time away from engineers Yep. Um, at least those are kind of what, what it sounds like to me.
2: Exactly. And then, uh, this morning we were, um, talking with a, uh, venture capital or, uh, two people who run a small venture capital fund and they, uh, keep track of a bunch of companies in their air table. And they kind of had some use cases where they could maybe scrape a bunch of data from like TechStars, YC, and some of the <laughs> other classic like places where you can find a bunch of startups and do uh, some like data enrichment off of it. And then also eventually like they like, um, oh, I kind of forget, oh, and then eventually they like also like when they're like talking to any of these people, they want some sort of like good search feature as well to like be able to like look through their Airtable or Notion. Um, but like we kind of started talking about the different things and tools we could build within Flank that could help that workflow. And they mentioned like, oh, there's this affinity CRM that is essentially like all of that built into one. And they're like, we just like, it doesn't make sense for us to do it because we're not really at that scale yet. But uh, we kind of started putting it into terms of like, it seems like there's like vertical SaaS utilities that like once your company gets big enough, you're like, oh, okay, we can afford to spend a million dollars a year on this product or something. Because we know we're gonna like get a usage out of all these like a hundred edge case features. But then like, there's a lot of like smaller and middle tier companies who need custom software components to get more leverage out of their employees. But yeah, like you said, they just don't have like the engineering power at the current stage to like be able to do that. And they also don't want to like spend the whatever buku bucks on a big contract. So like, I don't know, I hadn't really like thought about those frames of like, instead of making a super vertical, like specialized SaaS, like kind of intersecting like the lower middle ground there. But I was wondering if that kind of made sense to you at all. It
1: does. I mean, the the VC aspect is interesting because, or a VC shop firm or a PE firm, because these are firms with moving significant amounts of money around and have big decisions to make with, you know, seven, eight figures worth of money at any given time, you know, Mm -hmm. potentially more typically do not have big technical teams have a lot of really, really smart people working heavily in Excel a lot of time. And that, that that feels like a potential avenue for you guys, just as I'm kind of just riffing and thinking about it, where um, there's a lot of really important decisions to be made. Time is of the essence and always in all of these, where Flank could, could come in and help them without them having to go and hire full-time, um contractors or even full-time staff which is expensive and perhaps they only need that person maybe 50 percent of the time or whatever and they don't have a, they don't have enough work to really support a full technical staff but things like that that can make their lives easier particularly in an industry that i know is pretty heavily dominated by by excel in a lot of ways
2: yeah, um, and we were talking and they said like, yeah, like a typical like tech stack or like uh yeah, like uh tech stack people would use on like there's apparently a big Twitter thread where everyone's like, Oh yeah, we all just use like Notion and Airtable or yeah, Excel in a lot of cases. And uh potentially there could be like a software engineer like out there who instead of it making sense for one VC to hire a full-time software engineer and them not having work to do for them whatever fifty percent of the time. Like, potentially they could write a scraper once that could interact with a lot of these common startup websites, and then an Airtable, a Notion, and whatever like common databases are used by VCs, and then package that with Flank, and kind of redistribute that a couple of times, and like support 10 VCs at once, and like act as like a part-time suite to a bunch of different people, rather than only doing like 50% of the work needed at one firm. I mean, yes, I'm, I'm trying to, th- I mean, if
1: you guys ever thought of, I'm totally spitballing now trying to leverage sort of, at least my experience last couple of years, what I've been doing is where you guys have a, your, your standard flank subscription offering, but there's some sort of a premium version of that, that, get, you know, I, and then You know, it gives you the the base version, gives you Flank, and their internal developers need to write scripts or scrapers or whatever it might be that is going to be automated and managed and deployed via Flank. There's a premium version that gives you X number of hours a week of, of your time or one of your developers' time. That's a pseudo option, but you know, you price it properly. Where cool, then they don't have to go find, you know, maybe they don't have a technical staff at all. Um, and you manage the whole thing because you don't, then they don't have to train or show what this new contractor they've brought in on how to use Flank. You know, it's all you guys, you guys already know how to do it. It's a premium offering. Um, and it's already a trusted relationship and they don't have to go out and find contractors or find software developers. Maybe I'm saying something you guys have already discussed.
0: Yeah. That's, that's basically the idea. We just haven't like advertised it as such. Like you wouldn't find that language on our site. But I think internally, like that's also sort of how we think, how we've thought about it. Like that's what Bryce has been doing and Angus has done it in different ways yeah. too. Um, yeah. But, but I yeah, do I like think that. There's something to like marketing it that way as opposed to just being like, oh, yeah, we would do that if you asked us to.
1: Yeah. I almost, I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of this is your your premium, your gold tier, your, you know, and insert, you know, some sort of marketing language that, um, um, I know people always feel want to feel like they're getting the best product and kind of the most premium version of what you guys offer. This is kind of your white glove type of service.
0: Yeah, the the way I would describe the the set of tooling around the the VC use case is they've got they've got an Airtable where they track companies basically, and yeah. if they brought in a software engineer full time, I think what that person would do is write. 20 different cloud functions that do a variety of different things. They're all small, right? It'd be like grab grab a row from Airtable, run it through chat GPT, and then sort of enrich that row with some sort of information or something like that. Um, and they've just got a bunch of little stuff like that that you could put together. And like those, those 20 things would be very customized, but in a lot of ways are sort of generalized too. You know, a lot of people are doing stuff like that um and i guess i don't know i I guess the the question here what we're trying to figure out is like what's the best way to what's the best way to market that and like just how would how should we generally go about like reaching out to people and looking for this type of stuff and like i know you've done some some outbound on the consulting side and it's it's like Bigger clients, bigger scope of work. This would be like tiny scope of work, but um,
1: but yeah. So yeah, but tiny scope of work is usually an. I mean, it's just an easier sell. You know, the more money, the more the more difficult it is for us to sell. Um, and you can go after smaller clients with potentially smaller budgets as well. Um. I have, I mean, one thing for you guys, and I imagine the Austin community in particular has this, is, um, pit, you know, some sort of a pitch meeting to, to a group of investors. And if you can somehow get on that as a service provider and a preferred vendor of a, whether it's a VC firm or a PE firm to um, companies they invest in, I know is a really good channel because um, then you're essentially getting a not just one you know you've got your one call co- your client your your client is the vc firm but really they're just recommending you and promoting you to all their portfolio companies um, yeah say so here's here's yeah. flank we love flank if you can get one of them in your category in in your in your corner you don't have one client you've got potentially 20 30 40 clients right because they're they're recommending you and they've got their network of companies that they invest in um that's the ideal scenario and is something that i that has worked well for us is building those types of relationships because it's it's not a one-to-one it's one to many
2: would you um be able to expand a little bit on how that like type of relationship forms and how you would like go about doing that because I think we've like heard something kind of similar to that in the past or like thought about doing something like that but I think just in terms of like where to start and like how to go about it like what my plan would be would just be like yeah like talk to vcs and like like try and ask that but that's that seems incredibly blunt um so I'm wondering just kind of what your experience is and like successfully navigating that
1: I mean, the the best way is if you have one client that's in one of their funds is so you go to your client, I would think, can you introduce me to your VC, maybe talk about how pleased you were with the work that flank did, you know, make that introduction, I would think would be the way to go. As opposed to going directly to the VC, you're going straight from your client to make that introduction because your client has already seen it at work and would be like, oh my gosh, you know, Flank saved me X number of hours a week and this much cost on develop. You know, I could cut my developer costs in third in half or whatever that might look like. Um, if you can get kind of that that beta client in one of these VC funds, make, an, make a recommendation um feels like you want to go upstream that way and then go back downstream where then the vc goes back to future future invested um firms that they've invested in
2: yeah that makes a lot of sense like Um, just prove it out once at the smaller scope and then it's like use that trusting relationship to prove it out to the person who has more oversight to all the other individual
1: like yeah you. That, and- that to me seems like the way to go and is something that's worked has worked relatively well for us. Um is um trying to use current clients, you know. Of course, word of mouth is the old you know is kind of always the best recommendation, but this is word of mouth to somebody that can be word of mouth to 30 perhaps 30 clients at once. Um, so it's, it's leveraging just a really, really strong network. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, that's nice. one aspect that I know that we've talked about a lot internally and have really worked and, work and worked hard on um, because, you know, particularly if you guys have a small team. We have a small team as well. There's only so many, I mean, you know, Angus, you have a, a young one at home there's only so many five o'clock beers you can have with some you know there's only so many five o'clock beers you can have with people um or you know happy hours and networking events and all those things like our time is limited so it's about trying to leverage those times to get in front of the people that can introduce you to as many people as possible
2: yeah that makes a lot of sense so or actually, no, just re-phrasing like phrasing that really quick to make sure I think it makes sense. Is that uh, like you're saying kind of like like you would do a five o'clock beer kind of with your client and be like, hey, like, would you mind introducing me to the VC and then essentially like another kind of networking event with the VC to then hopefully cause that trickle down effect to all of their clients?
1: Yeah, I mean, like the holy grail would be, and I, and I say this not with... Peak confidence, realize like I, I I, don't have all the answers, but this is really just my thoughts and things that have worked reasonably well for us. Is if you could get a presentation in front of their portfolio companies, on like in him, just you know, you come in, you offer for free to do like a presentation on portfolio companies. On you know, we've done that, and here's who Tiber is you know, that's what we do, we're, we're a consulting firm, um, we talk about. Things that have gone well. Maybe we teach them a little bit of something about data engineering or something along those lines. Um, but for you guys, that might be a showcase of Flank, um, some of the pain points it solves, um, and that's a way for to get in front of eyeballs with a, I think, a really well curated audience.
2: Yeah. And then from there, does the typical next step kind of be like the um, other portfolio companies would reach out to you guys individually or at the end of the presentation or like if anyone has any questions, like feel free to reach out to us or like let's set up some meetings here. Like do you set them up during the presentation or what's kind of the next steps to like actually trying to get some of the VCs portfolio companies like on board with you guys?
1: Um, I think... I mean, a good next step is always to kind of sit and ideally, you know, you sh- ideally the presentation speaks for itself and you guys get some, some natural inflow from there. Right. Um, you know, perhaps there's a follow up with some literature, or, you know, um, links and what have you. Um, but I, I would think that if you guys are selling it, um, that you should get some natural inflow as a result, I think that would be the goal. Um.
0: Something else, I'm switching gears here a little bit. Something else we've talked yeah. about more recently, just with regards to the product, is having more spreadsheet interoperability. Um, I'm kind of curious like what what you've seen uh, either at, at EY or, or at Tiber, just in terms of especially when you come into this sort of transition period where people are bringing in like their first tech person or like their first tech team or something like that. Um, Just kind of like, yeah, like what you've seen from the software engineer's point of view of someone who's coming into like spreadsheet world and trying to add like some little automations like here and there to, to just make, make, you know, very manual stuff more efficient.
1: Um, I mean, I I think a lot of my time when I was over at EY was was that was trying to bring people out of spreadsheet world and into automated world where all they have to do is they wake up in the morning and they can go grab this this file that's automatically downloaded for them as opposed to yeah. copying and pasting this here and merging this here and um, you've got a a spider web of, of Excel spreadsheets open at one given time. Um, I don't, I was in the government space when I was there. So I think the government space is potentially another avenue, which certainly comes with an uphill battle on the procurement side with them and getting contracts sold is certainly difficult in building those relationships as its own beast relative to the private industry, but. There's a lot of kind of spreadsheet spiderweb, so to speak. I know in that world that um, to me, like, screams flank purely from a technology standpoint. Screams flank, um, at least in my experience, um, when I was over EY. Um, from a you know business standpoint, you know the, the government's procurement cycle is is long and arduous um, that, that might be, is, is, a, is a blocker for a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah. What were, like, what are some of the things that you're doing on that spreadsheet data once you pull them into software engineering world? I almost think of it as like, there's a wall between, you know, software engineering world and Excel world where you've got Excel on one side and then Databases in SQL and stuff like that on the other and there's maybe even a third wall that's sort of like between the SQL writers and People who are like writing Python deploying code
1: Yeah, I mean I I to be honest I experienced There a lot of Here's data living in SQL. It's gonna get updated every morning Export it from SQL copy and paste it into this spreadsheet. That's got some formulas baked into it. So that spreadsheet can update, uh, save that spreadsheet, um, copy the results into another sheet. That's a roll up table of some kind, like pandas were, I mean, truly the things that you guys would just do in traditional pandas. Um, and basically I would, you know, my, some of my first tasks were very simple, like automate this whole process for us and. You know, it's SQL Alchemy, Pandas, export downstream to wherever it needs to go. Um, really straightforward things that can be done with you know, uh, you know, I know certainly can be done in, in Flank, um, and those are types of things that I was amazed were not automated. To be honest, um, that I think are the types of things that. Um, a lot of companies, certainly I have saw in the government space, but I imagine a lot of companies to um, struggle with and spend a lot of time doing and can be automated once forever. Um, particularly, and I imagine a lot of that might even happen in the startup space as well, in some of these VC firms where you've got, you wanna keep your engineers focused on not doing reporting and on Um, user metrics and things along those lines, but instead you want to keep them focused on the core product. But you've got this reporting back. You've got this reporting lapse where you don't have as much insight into um, your user growth, into your, um, you know, your your CAC and and all these other things that you care about um, that are super important, but you want to keep your engineers focused on building out the next widget on the product, the things that actually get seen by the customers. Um, I feel like there could also be a whole reporting world. And that's a lot of the, what I was doing for the, the what I saw with the government. But I think the the VC application of this would be those sorts of reporting things that I feel like to me scream flank um, so that you can keep your engineers focused on the core product. Um, while also, you know, having your cake and eating it too. You get to also have all these beautiful reporting dashboards and and things like that that are also super important. Um,
0: Yeah, we've got one person that uses it for just grabbing model performance. So they basically just have a Lambda that calculates a bunch of performance numbers and they just like click run, get the table back. Um, I wouldn't say it's a beautiful dashboard, but it's like a super quick one.
1: Yeah, which depending on what you want to do with it may or may not be important if it's strictly internal versus, you know, I think every executive I've certain I've worked with executives that do not mind if I provide them with um, a black and white Word doc or some simple Excel tables and other people like really beautiful dashboards. I tend to meet people where they're at. Um, But I think for something internal, people are maybe not quite as strict on it being, you know, state of the art on the front end side of things.
0: Yeah. So going back to the consulting thing, like we're basically trying to pump out, say like two case studies a week where it's like, Hey, we've, We help someone like build a little tool um, that, you know, is either a button for a scraper or effectively a Google form around some little piece of code or a database or a way to run a query. A lot of different angles, but like, yeah, I don't know. If, If you were us and you were trying to just, basically just crank out a lot of these things and get, like, a lot of, like, quick little projects built. I guess, what would you, how would you run it?
1: Right, because you guys are wanting for quicker wins. Um, I'm thinking... I mean, definitely like, particularly for, have you, I mean, you did a little bit of stuff with Upwork at one point, right? Where you were looking for, because those have a lot of quick projects on there. But what was your success with that or, or lack thereof? Yes, I'm curious.
0: Well, we didn't really invest that much time into it. We played around with it for maybe a week, but you've yeah. got to, you basically got to commit to, becoming an Upworker and, you know, build up your credibility and yeah. you know, do a bunch of projects. basically um, for free. On like a,
2: yeah, a lot of, like, applications, too, and, like, kind of, like, making sure you can even get a job. And, yeah, we, I don't think, got too invested into the Upwork process itself.
1: Yeah. Um, have you used it at all? No, I've never used it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that another potential outreach I, you know, is, you know, I know why common, I mean um, I know why Combinator has a job or as well that they look for contractors. But again, I think a lot of these are bigger. So, right. Because these are the bigger, you know, cause you guys are in a niche where you guys are looking for small, small quick win lifts versus like my world are the six month year, two year plus contracts that we, we, that are, we come in land expand. And then in a couple years, you know, we've we've built this um, your product for you. Um, And then typically, after a couple years, we leave. Yeah. Um, But You guys want a really quick, these quick winners
2: that can be done in maybe a, a week or two, right? Yeah, I think we'd want projects that are like scoped out in terms of weeks as opposed to months. Yeah. If it
0: was anything longer than that, and we've actually got some stuff right now that's longer term, but we're we're basically trying to get ourselves out of the loop as the engineer. Like start set up flank, do some engineering work up front, but then you know, as time goes on, like stop sort of get
1: someone else into that consulting slot. Right. So like for I mean one potential option, I mean, is to re- is, I mean, you could also do a partnership with like a consulting firm, like whether it's Tiber or an UI or whatever is building a relationship with one of them. Because a lot of times we get inflow for quick projects. Yeah. But we know we know we want the one year, two year, three year. So right, because those are those are the kind of projects that the big you know that we would want. That I know a lot of the bigger firms would want. But we get people asking, "Hey, can you build this in in two, three, four weeks?" And it, a lot of times, we don't necessarily have um, the bandwidth to do that. Um, if we're fully staffed or what have you, is another potential route for you guys um
0: is that does that type of work Do you think that type of work fits into the the flank universe where it's you know fairly manual there's a human in the loop type of thing or are are those people looking for you know i want to set up like this automated system that you know does everything on its own
1: No, I think a lot of those quick, a lot of those quicker ones tend to be like, I want to proof a concept of something, or yeah, um, we struggle with this, 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 and lack of visibility, and I'm doing this repeatedly. I do think a lot of those fall into the flank, because usually when someone wants a fully automated system, it's really the bigger ask, and it's it's a potentially a, a bigger project for us. But a lot of times we'll get you know, really quick, quick hitters um, that we either, you know, we, we try to, particularly if they're current clients, we try to support. But, you know, a lot of times we'll get reach out um, and we just don't have the bandwidth to be, to add it. Um, and that that's mm-hmm. another potential route for you guys is to be down down funnel of, of an already existing business and leverage that relationship.
0: Yeah, I think that's, That's an interesting idea. Um, That's sort of how I think both the the NIL company and this VC firm, I think fit into that bucket where they're both just, they're both just basically running on Airtable and you know, it's like, Hey, we want to, we want to build out a bunch of automation, but we also don't want to scope something out that takes a year to build. It's like, we'd rather just automate this little piece with 30 lines of code than automate this little piece with 30 lines of code and kind of like gradually cobble together this system. Um, And, you know, it's not, you were talking about like building a scraper and it's not something that's going to like run on a schedule. It's just going to run whenever they go in and like click it. Um, Like that's fine for now.
1: Yeah, and I and I think to be honest, the most people aren't bothered by clicking a button. At least in my experience, is that if all they have to yeah. do is go in and click the when they want something, assuming it doesn't, it's not a two-hour-long process. Assuming this is a sub-five-minute run, maybe we'll call it. Like I don't think most people have a deep desire to have something be running on a schedule. They really want it more as an on-demand feature, Um, at least is what I've gathered, Um, particularly for a lot of these processes. Um, I think in the big one that I keep coming back to is kind of the reporting is, you know, what's our, how was our last week on user growth? How was our last week on cash in the door? Um, How much, you know, XYZ Monday morning I hit hit a button and I get four different reports um, that I can download straight from Flank and pull them up. Um, Those are the types of things that I often find that people punt on because they don't want to pull engineering talent into because- And are those,
0: yeah. Is, is that typically just someone writing like a SQL query or is it, um, is it just, you know, putting together some, some Excel, is it like a little code plus a little Excel? Um,
1: yeah. I a think mixture code to Excel or code, you know, a, a, a some mixture of SQL and pandas and Excel, um, some subset of those three probably, I think is, is what I see a lot of, um, you know, eventually the goal is that's like, a, you know, a lot of people like big organizations want those to be fully, you know, our big organizations that we work with, will want that to be a fully automated dashboard that C-suite execs can, can log into and see at any point. But in like a smaller organization, it's really, they just want to know on-demand numbers. Like, hey, did we grow? What was our user base grow last week or what have you?
0: I was just going to ask you like, what type of stuff you're working on now?
1: Um, God, I am doing, I'm a bit all over the place these days. Um, I've got clients and a few different kind of streams of work. So I'm doing a bit of predictive modeling work. Um, I'm also doing kind of some infrastructure work. So, um, one of my clients is pretty, they've, you know, in, in the bio um, the bio space and has a really, really impressive AI software, but um, needs help kind of streamlining and automation. So I do a lot of automation work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, we kind of do soup to nuts. I mean, anything in the data space. So we'll hit data engineering, we'll hit automation, we'll hit predictive analytics, you know, machine learning. Um, I've started diving into Bintu for one of my clients in particular, um, started building. A, um, a chatbot for them. Um, so those are some things that we've been dabbling into recently that that's kind of the newest thing for us is building on chatbots and leveraging LLMs and the OpenAI um, Azure partnership um, and all the really cool things that can be done there are things that we've started doing as well. Um, I would say that's probably like the newest, most exciting thing. Um,
0: with, with OpenAI, are you mostly doing chatbot stuff or is there any... Sort of like, I don't know, data processing or summary extraction type of
2: stuff that you're doing. Or making a new model.
1: A bit of both. I think um a bit of both. I think chatbot's like the most the quickest win, I think, for a lot of people and the easiest one to grasp. It particularly if it's a direct consumer product, because you want a chatbot that's you know, intelligent has information at its fingertips, which is a much better process than either clicking through prompts or or what have you. Um, and I think that like the clicking through prompts is probably frustrating for a lot of people. And I think that that's, that's one that uh, a lot of people see
2: use in. For um, the, the chatbots, do you guys use uh, like Langchain or what does like the typical like implementation and project details typically entail?
1: I've started um, dabbling with LangChain and a few of the other um, sort of implementation, you know, Lama Index, LangChain. Um, and then you can leverage, you know, OpenAI and um, any different subset of their models um, and a bunch of different techniques to kind of get what you, get what you want out of the models. Um, so there, you can kind of use really any subset of those suite of tools um typically all of the above is where i end up with some kind of i usually end up with all of the above um in order to get what i want um it's really easy to have these types of lms go awry hallucination is super real i found in my initial exploration with them Um, that's the biggest problem that i always have when i'm building one is um, particularly if you give it access to the internet it starts making things up Um, so building in guardrails, I would say is the biggest chunk of my time and making sure, not making sure it gets the right answer, but making sure that, you know, when it has a wrong answer, um, is, is, I would say one of the biggest, uh, struggles and pieces of development that I end up doing when I'm building these is, um, try to identify wrong answers. Yeah.
0: How do you do, how do you do internet access programmatically? Like I know through the ChatGPT interface, they've got the plugin. But then what does that look like if you're doing it
1: in code? So I believe Bing has their own API. I know Google has their own API with keys that you can you can get to then start searching the internet. I mean, I think Bing has the most fluid integration with OpenAI because of the Microsoft partnership. Um, so yeah. they make that like really, really easy, um, with some simple API calls. Um, and you can get search results and you can get articles and you can actually get, um, a bot to start extracting information from those. Um, I have found in my experience that giving it that much information is a a fast track to having it hallucinate. Um, So I think properly curating that and properly adding guardrails is exceptionally important. And and one of the things that I've spent a good bit uh, doing so far.
2: To like stop it from hallucinating, have you been relying on like vector databases at all? Or like, what have you been doing to kind of counteract that?
1: A little bit. Um, I think I've also, I've done a little bit of that adding prompt engineering um, is exceptionally helpful. Um, you'd be surprised at what some simple prompt engineering that you and I can do with just pure English, um, will help these chatbots. If you, if, you know, asking it a question versus asking it a question and telling it to only like, make sure you say, I don't know if you're not sure. Like simple things like that. You'd be surprised how helpful they are. That's like the easiest, yeah. lowest hanging fruit on, on on prompt engineering is quite simply just saying if you're not 100 percent sure, say I don't know. Um, but there's an art to that. Um, it's definitely a, unlike a lot of other things that we do um, as engineers. Um, there's there's a lot of art to it, and I've there's a lot of guessing and checking and seeing what works, as opposed to, hey, I need to merge these tables and build this sort of summary table and then drop this into this new database table and automate this process, which are fairly black and white. Like You just need to build this thing um, where this is a bit more artful than I think a lot of things that I've certainly done in my career. Um, and And I imagine what a lot of developers experienced.
2: Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I remember when I was just using like, well, and also I still use this tip a lot, but uh, uh I came across an article that said, just add, do you have any clarifying questions at the end of your GPT prompts? And I found that really helpful because then like the next thing will be uh, five to 10 questions about the task I gave it. And then I provide those and provide more details. So then whatever the GPT response is, is a lot more thoughtful and meaningful and like, correct towards my actual result and like what I want to happen instead of, uh, getting back a completely wrong result and then needing to be like, oh, we'll actually go back and do this thing instead. It's kind of nice kind of taking a little bit more time in that planning step. But, the uh, say, I don't know if you're not sure, it's like, it's such a good type of like quick tip that causes such a huge improvement in, uh, performance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's like the quickest tip that I could possibly give that I've experienced, which seems so silly. Um, but will actually reduce hallucinations. Um, so, because if you just ask a question, it will do everything in its power to provide an answer, whether or not it know it's like completely confirmed and the answer it's, it's found. Um, but again, I mean, again, I and mean, I think part of the art form of it is to do with how new a lot of it is, at least into the broader public and how, how much that you know, for instance, database construction, um, while there is some art to it, has been around for a long, long time, and there are some fairly clear, I think, best practices. Um, I think that's probably less true for LMs, um, given that they're, you know, in the last year or two coming into the global or into the into kind of public view.
2: i guess uh with the type of hodgepodge solutions or like where you said like all of the above before uh that it's not just really like LangChain or um was that lum index what was that llama index is a, is a oh. pretty
1: popular llama index it's yeah. pretty popular um usually that's prepared with the LangChain in a lot of odd instances
2: when stuff ends up being all of above is it because um each tool is helpful for stopping a specific type of issue that you run into when constructing the chatbots. You're like, oh, I know like this type of langchain interface is really useful for this, and then I know like Bing is better for this, so I'm gonna use Bing here. Like, how does that construction come about where you end up using a lot of all of the above solutions as opposed to being like I'm gonna use everything in langchain or I'm gonna do everything with just OpenAI base? Perhaps that's more stemming from m-
1: my own and the clients I work with that we build, we'll we call ourselves custom house builders. So everything we build, we like to do custom. Um, I think if I were to build something that's an out of, more of an out-of-the-box product, it might make sense to build it with one package in particular, one technology. Um, but when my clients ask for something, they want it to be specifically customized to them with the XYZ very specific parameters, which usually one or two of the parameters are always going to contradict the others in terms of what packages and what, um, what types of solutions I want to build, um, which is fine. So I end up almost always taking the pieces from each different piece of technology that might work for that specific solution.
2: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Um, yeah, but if I were to try to build something that were more of a general out of the box tool, I'd probably feel more wedded to one type of, type, you know, one type of
2: package or what have you. Mm-hmm. But your goal here at the end of the day is to build your client the best custom chat bot possible. So you're just going to use like every tool in your toolkit to make it as close to what they want as possible.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, that, that, you know, I, I, I'm always going to default to, to more tools, um, assuming it doesn't add so much, uh, computing and storage complexity that it becomes too difficult to maintain. Um, that's always the trade-off with adding more tools. It's just an extra level of complexity and sometimes cost, depending on if they're free tools or not. But, um, you know, as with most things, there's, there's a cost benefit analysis to be done. Um, but assuming they're not, too difficult to maintain and too cost prohibitive, I'll use more tools.
2: Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know, that was about all I had on kind of the chat bot front. I don't know, Angus, uh, do you have anything else on that front? or anyone? I don't think so. Do
0: you wanna, well, just as like a logistical thing. Uh, Harrison, is there anything you want to like plug or you want to do like
1: an outro or anything? Sure. Um, I guess I didn't totally intro. Inch- I'm, I'm the lead data scientist for Tiver Solutions. Um, so if anyone wants to drop a note, wants to chat on all things, data science, data engineering, or also reach out if you ever need anything built, um, maybe that's, uh, a longer term project than anything that Angus would do. Anything short term, I want you to reach out to these guys, but uh, maybe something a bit bigger and you can reach out reach out our way.
0: And what's the type of stuff that y'all do? I know it, I know it's there's a lot of stuff across the board, but maybe just a couple examples.
1: Yeah. So data warehousing is like I would say a lot of what we do. Um, so, you know, I always say the you've got a bunch of data written on the back of napkins that you've been collecting for 15 years and maybe you've got a stack of napkins, is um, we'll put those into a lean, uh, efficient, fast data warehouse that can be accessed by stakeholders. Um, Downstream from there, a lot of times we'll build predictive models um, and downstream from there, a lot of times we'll build custom dashboards that can be shown to stakeholders. Um, That might be the C-suite, that might be the clients. in recent years, we've started kind of building out uh, proof of concept products for for younger companies and startups as
2: well. Nice, that was a good explanation. Thank you. Very concise and uh, definitely like you feel the story there.
1: That's been the goal. I've been uh, working on my kind of the nomenclature, my elevate my elevator pitch. I guess that's the the right term, right?
2: Thanks for listening to the Flank podcast. If you'd like to follow us, check out our site at flank.cloud and follow us on Twitter at FlankATX. Bye.